0: Well, many many thanks to Kathy Doherty and all those who assisted her in putting together a wonderful Love Taylor's Day 2019. Um, what a just what an incredible thing it is to see that many people from this congregation out in this community sharing the love of Christ and making a difference. And you ought to be very proud of what was accomplished on last Saturday. And I'm very very grateful. To the Lord for everyone who had a part in that. You keep praying for the fruit that will come as a result of all that was done this past Saturday. Please open your Bibles to Exodus, the 20th chapter. Now we're studying the life and the times of Elijah, and our text is really found in 1 Kings chapter 17. But uh, this morning, that text is really just going to be an illustration of what I want you to see in Exodus chapter 20, and also uh, an important text from the New Testament book of James. But I want to begin, first of all, with you in Exodus chapter 20 this morning. We're going to look at a rather obscure verse that maybe at first glance doesn't seem to have much of anything to do about anything, but... If we dig a little bit deeper in there, we're going to find one of the most important truths in all of Scripture. Let me tell you what's been happening in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses has been up on Mount Sinai. God has given him the Ten Commandments. The people have seen the lightning. They have heard the thunder. They've seen that great mountain veiled in smoke because of the Lord's presence, and they're trembling in fear. And when you come to chapter 20, verse 19, you will see the people saying to Moses, Speak to us yourself, Moses, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. So the people were very afraid of what they were seeing. In verse 20, Moses then says to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. Now here's the verse I want you to look at, and it's in your message guide as well. Exodus chapter 20 verse 21, it tells us, so the people stood at a distance While Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Where was God? Where was God in this verse? He was in the thick darkness. What a place to find God. In darkness. Most of us don't think about finding God in the darkness, do we? We look for God in those bright and shining moments, when the blessings are pouring down, when things are going well in our lives. That's when we say, God is so good. When we see his hand at work, when we can sense his power, In our lives we say praise God he's real when we experience the miracle when God comes through for us in a way we never could have seen that's when we say what an awesome God we serve in the brightness and the brilliance that's where we expect to find God not in the darkness. Elijah was a man who found God in the bright and shining moments. We see that in the background I've given you there in your, in your message guide. In 1 Kings chapter 17:1, he found that God was real in the palace of King Ahab. When without blinking an eye, Elijah walked into the presence of that pagan, godless king. And he said, Ahab, because of your wickedness and the wickedness of this nation, there will be neither dew nor rain in the land except at my word. (laughs) And God closed up the heavens. And that demonstration of power was such that Elijah knew he could put his trust in God. Elijah also found God to be real by the brook at the Careth Ravine. Verses 2 through 6 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Because God had shut up the heavens and there had been no rain, there was drought in the land, there was famine in the land. But Elijah was drinking from the brook and the birds were bringing him food. The ravens were bringing him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. What a great God, Elijah served in the midst of those blessings man God was real Elijah found God to be real also in Zarephath verses 8 through 16 when you remember from last week the widow's jar of flour never ran out and her jug of oil never ran dry Verse 15 of of that text tells us that there was food every day for Elijah and for the widow and for her family in the light of the miracle. God was some kind of God. Elijah found God in that display of power, in Ahab's palace, in the blessings at the Kareth ravine, in the miracle at Zarephath, in the midst of the light and the, and the, the joy and The sunshine and the blessings, God was real. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you how awesome he is. But then we find that Elijah and this widow are about to learn a lesson that you and I must learn as well. And that is, sooner or later, every one of us is going to come to the place where if we're going to be able to find God at all, we're going to have to be able to find Him in the darkness. And that brings me to First Kings chapter 17, verse 17. The test. Look at verse 17 with me. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house this is the widow who has helped Elijah. Sometime later, her son became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. In other words, he died. Elijah and this woman are now suddenly tested. They had just seen God perform this incredible miracle. He'd done this supernatural work in their lives. They had had seen the miracle of the flour and the oil, but now their whole world comes crashing in. Now church, there is a Biblical principle here. An inescapable biblical principle that you cannot afford to miss. God tests my faith. God tests your faith. He tests our faith. You see... The only way you can really know whether or not you really believe what you say you believe is if you still believe it in the face of a test. You see, many of us who say on Sunday, hey preacher, we believe, find out on Monday. That we don't pass the test of belief. It's like when you're in school and the teacher gives a lecture and she wraps the lecture up and she says to the class, Now, have you got this? You understand what we've been talking about? And all the students say, Yeah, teacher, we understand. Well, If you're like me, the teacher doesn't give you a grade based on what you say, right? Instead, she's going to give you a test, and then it will be known whether you really know what you said you knew. Church, God does the same thing. He tests our faith. And he does so for at least a couple of reasons. Let me share them with you. One reason why God tests my faith and your faith is so that I can have the privilege of rejoicing when I am found faithful. In other words, I say I believe this about God. I say I believe this about his word. The test comes And based upon what I know in here and in here, that knowledge is put to work and that knowledge sustains me and that faith sustains me and I pass the test and I rejoice. But there is a second reason why God gives me tests and that is to show me that I am often not as faithful as I thought I was before the test came. So Elijah and this woman are tested. they have just seen the miracle of the flour and the oil. Now the woman's son dies. Now I don't know about you. I can only tell you about me. So I don't know if this is your experience or not, but it has been mine. It seems sometimes that Just when God has given me a victory in some area, then something else happens to throw me for a loop. Just when I feel like God's taken care of one problem, just as soon as it looks like he has miraculously delivered me from one mess, (laughs) another mess comes along. Anybody else ever felt that way besides me? I mean, it's like you can literally be down on your knees thanking God for something he's done for you. And before you can even get back up, something else has gone wrong. That's what happened to Elijah and this woman. God performs this miracle in verse 16. Bam! Verse 17. The woman's son Dies. Now what was the reaction here? We need to we need to look at this reaction because it is our reaction many times when our faith is tested. Verse 18. Look at it with me. The woman says to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? This woman lashes out at Elijah, and it's important to realize and understand that Elijah in that moment was God's representative. And so her lashing out at Elijah wasn't really so much lashing out at Elijah as it was lashing out at God. And if you look at what she's saying here, she's really asking two questions that are very typical. They're the same kinds of questions you and I often ask when we're going through a test. Question number one, God What do you have against me? God, you must have something against me. You must not love me. You must not care about me. What have you got against me, God? I thought you loved me. I've tried to follow you. And so one of the questions that, that naturally come into our hearts when we're faced with some kind of painful trial that we're going through is, God, God, what do you have against me? And the second question, which goes right along with that first one, God, what have I done to cause you to do this to me? That's what the widow said, right? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? God, I must have done something bad for this to happen. I must be a terrible person. So this woman lashes out. You know, (laughs) she really needed some help in understanding God's tests. And guess what? So do we. We need some help in understanding what's happening when we're going through those things that test our faith. So I want you to keep your finger here in 1 in Kings chapter 17, but I, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of James. And I want to look at some verses. I wish we had time to just spend uh, a whole sermon or a series of sermons on these verses. We don't, but, but let's just look at them quickly here. Uh, They can give us some help in understanding what's going on when our faith is tested. James writes, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice, he does not say, if you face trials... (laughs) But when you face them, count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's an amazing statement. How can you be joyful about the hard things of life that come your way? How can you get joy out of a trial? Well, verse 3, because you know, now notice here, you've, you've got to know something. Because you know that the testing of your faith, there it is, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. The first thing we've got to understand, first thing we've got to come to terms with is that trials come to test us to see if we really believe what we say we believe when the going gets tough. You see, it's easy to believe when the good times come around. No, it's when the tests come That our belief is either proved or disproved. Let me give you another illustration here that will help from Mark chapter 4. You see the verses there. I'm not going to read all of them, but give you the background. Jesus had begun his public ministry, and in those opening days of his public ministry, a lot of people were following him. A lot of people were excited about what they were seeing. Jesus was healing the sick. He was feeding the hungry. He was opening the eyes of the blind. The people were excited. The disciples were excited. And they were saying things to Jesus like, Lord, we will follow you wherever you go. Jesus You're tough. Man, anybody who can do the kind of things you can do, it's got to be all right. We believe in you, Jesus, and we want to tell you, we are with you all the way. And so Jesus said, all right, fellas, I appreciate that. But let's go get in this boat and let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowds, they got in the boat, they started across the lake And Mark chapter 4, verse 37 tells us that as they were on their way across the lake, a furious storm came up. Waves began to break over the boat and it was about to be swamped. It was about to go under. Now where was Jesus? Well, he was down in the stern section of the boat sleeping. And so the frantic disciples rush down to where he is. They shake him and they say, Jesus, wake up. Jesus, you better get up, man. There's a terrible storm out there, Jesus. This boat is about to sink. You're down here sleeping. And then they throw this out. Mark chapter four, verse 38. Look at it. Jesus, don't you even care if we drown? I mean, how can you lay here, Jesus, like this when when we're about to go under? You don't even care. Listen, church, these are the same disciples who had said, Jesus, you're tough. Jesus, we believe in you. Jesus, we see what you can do. These same disciples, when they were about to drown, when their boat was about to tip over, turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you don't even care about us. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? I I love the King James here. (laughs) O ye of little faith, you whose faith is dwarfed. Why did Jesus say that? Because in the midst of the crisis, when they felt like they were about to go under, when they felt like they were about to drown, they stopped believing. See, on the edge of the miracle, it's easy to believe. (laughs) But here's the question. Fill in the blanks. When you don't see the miracle, do you still see the Lord? That's the question. When you don't see the miracle, do you still see the Lord? When you feel like you're about to go under, do you still have the faith to follow hard after Christ? See, when the f- flour jar was full, when the jug of oil was full, the, the, this widow could say, I believe. But when her son died, she said, God, you must not even care anymore. See, that's why God sends tests. To see if we really believe what we say we believe when the tough times come. So how do we get through this? Well, God gives us a resource to help our faith. Now, we get a hint of it in Elijah's prayer here in verse 19. We'll look at it in a minute. But James is really going to spell it out for us. But let's let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 19. The woman's son has died. Elijah comes and he takes the boy, his limp body, upstairs to his room where he's staying. He lays him on the bed and he says to God this, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Now, Elijah prays, but his prayer is a question, isn't it? Lord, what in the world are you doing? See, Elijah recognized that the test was from God, but but he didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to him. So here's, here's the question that's being raised here. How do I trust God when I don't know what he's doing? How will my faith sustain me when I have no idea what God is up to. That's how Elijah felt. This didn't make any sense to him. When today contradicts yesterday and tomorrow contradicts today, how do you trust God when there is utter confusion? Now church, this this brings me to something that I, I don't really know how to get around easy. So let me just say it. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then that's great. And that means you're on your way to heaven. But that doesn't give you much of an understanding about how God works on earth. To understand that, you've got to learn some things about God. And that is what Elijah was trying to do here. He was really asking, God, would you show me what in the world is going on? That brings us back to James Chapter 1 again, look at verse 4. Again, James has just said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you go through trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Right, That's good. It helps us understand that we don't always really believe what we say we believe, but where do we go from there? Well, verse 4 is a very important verse. The testing of your faith produces perseverance, but you can't stop there. James says, now you've got to let perseverance finish its work. Do you see that? Listen, God is doing something in the tests. He's doing something in the tests that come into your life. He's doing something in the tests that come into my life, and he needs to finish it. What we want to do is short-circuit what God is up to. James says, no, you've got to let perseverance hanging in there, you've got to let that finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you don't let God finish what he's trying to do in your life through the test, you'll never be mature, you'll never be complete, you'll never be everything God wants you to be. You'll never grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. God's doing something in the test. James says he needs to finish it. then we come to verse 5 and here's the resource that we need james says if any of you lacks what's that next word wisdom you should ask god who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you now listen I understand this, I do it too. We pull this verse out of context sometimes when somebody's trying to make a decision or somebody's got a got a choice to make about something and we say, hey, James 1, 5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, he'll give it to you. Well, that's true. But James 1, 5 is written in the context of life's testing times. So if you're going through a test and you don't know what's going on James says, ask God for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is critically important. James is not saying, if any of you lacks a solution to your problem, if any of you lacks the way out of a difficulty, if any of you lacks being able to get out of this trial in your life, that's not what he says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. You see, what you need most and what I need most when our faith is being tested is not the solution to my problem, but the ability to be able to function in the midst of my problem. You understand that? Let me say it again, you can fill in the blank. What I need most when I'm going through a test is not the solution to my problem, but the ability to be able to function in the midst of my problem. And that's what wisdom gives me. Let me give you a biblical definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to get divine insight into a human situation. It is the ability to get divine insight into a human situation. It is the ability for me to be able to take the truth of God and apply it to my life and begin to understand what God is doing. Wisdom has nothing to do with my college degree, where I went to school, has nothing to do with my IQ. Wisdom means being able to look at the test I'm going through and see the hand of God at work. And that's why my prayer should not be, Lord, remove this test. It's okay to do that. But the better prayer is, God, help me to function in the midst of this test Give me the wisdom to see what you're trying to do in this test until you remove it. See, wisdom tells me how I need to live. It tells me how I need to function in the midst of the test until God finishes and accomplishes his purpose and brings the test to an end. James says, ask God for wisdom. He will give it generously. He will give you it. Maybe you're not going to be able to understand everything, but he will be able to give you enough insight and enough wisdom to be able to see what he's trying to accomplish or something that he's trying to accomplish in the midst of the test. And then don't miss verse 6. But when you ask for wisdom... You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. James says, I've got to believe something. What is it I've got to believe? Well, I've just simply got to believe that God has a purpose behind the test that I'm going through. I've got to believe that God really has a purpose behind. There's a purpose behind the problem. There's a purpose behind the test. If I don't believe that, if I don't believe that God is really up to something, that he's orchestrating this, that he's working through this, if I don't believe that, James says, I'm just like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind, and I should never expect to receive anything from the Lord, any wisdom Any insight? No, I've got to believe that God is at work there. So if I believe that God has a purpose in the test, then I ask him for wisdom to be able to see his hand at work. And James says, he will give me that wisdom and I will be able to persevere through the test until God brings it to an end. That's his promise. So what's the point in all of this? Well, let me conclude by looking with you at the victory that is promised here. Verses 21 through 24 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah's taken this widow's dead son up to his room. He's prayed for wisdom. Lord, show me what you're doing. I can't see it. And then in verse 21, he prays this prayer, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And again, it's okay to ask God to remove the test, but only after he's finished doing what he wants to do. So Elijah says, Lord, let him live. In verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Watch this. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true now I know why didn't she know before because her faith needed to grow she didn't need a Bible study for her faith to grow she needed something to challenge the Bible study she needed to test So that she could see in her own personal experience of life that what she knew and believed in her head was true in her life. Let me tell you something. You can hold this word in your hand this morning. And you can say, I believe this word. But you will never really know whether or not you really believe what you say you believe Until you can say, I've been through the test, I've been through the darkness, and I still believe. The real victory of this woman's faith wasn't that she got her son back. Yes, God did bless, and God did hear Elijah's prayer, and she did get her son back. But the real triumph is there, verse 24, underlined, where where the woman says, Now, I know something, God about you that I didn't know before. Now I see a side of you, God, that I never saw before. Now I can say something, God, that I've never been able to say before, and that is that your word is true. Oh, gosh. I don't know of anybody Who was ever tested more than Job? You know his story in the Old Testament? He lost his wealth. He lost his family. Every child tragically killed. His wife turned against him. His friends turned against him. But at the end of the book of Job, when everything that could possibly happen to a man and worse has happened to him, he looks back over all he had to endure. And in chapter 42, verse 5, Job says, God, before all of this happened to me, my ears have heard had heard of you, but now God... My eyes have seen you. Before the test, God, all all my experience of you had been theory, had been intellectual knowledge. But now, now that I've been through the test, God, I've seen you. Now that I've been through the test, God, I have felt you. Now that I've gone through the test, God, I have found your word to be true. And I know you're real because I found you in the darkness. I know God is real when I find Him in the darkness. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you may be going through. I don't know what questions you may have. But God is at work in the midst of whatever it is you're going through you have an opportunity right now not just to hear him hear about him with your ears but to see him with your eyes because you find him in the darkness he's there he's there i want you to bow your heads Would you close your eyes for just a couple of moments here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it is true. We do not like tests. Never have, probably never will. But God, you have a purpose when those things happen. And I pray this morning that you would give us the wisdom we need to be able to trace your hand, to be able to see your face be able to know your heart when we find you in the darkness so Lord for whatever your people may be going through today whatever they may be facing whatever challenges may be before them God I pray that you'll give wisdom and you will help them to see that you are at work in the testing times of life father now move in these moments accomplish your will and your purpose as our prayer In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you join me in standing? We're going to sing just a couple of verses here. As we do, I just want you to listen to the words in your heart. I want you to ask yourself, is this my life? Have I given him the clay of my life? Is he able to do with it what he wants to do this morning? Even if it's hard, even if I'm in a test, am I willing to let him finish his work and create out of my life the kind of vessel that he wants me to become? As we sing this hymn,